0: Welcome back to The Peripheral for this episode. I figured we'd change it up a little bit, something a little bit more, oh, I don't know if you wanna call it lighthearted, but something different. I do have some pretty heavy topics coming up, so it's always nice to get a little reprieve. This episode should have been out a long time ago, so apologies to my guest, but I did have a lot of audio difficulties and problems. And a special thanks to Shane at Arclight Media for helping salvage this entire episode. The audio still isn't the best, but I think it's good enough. <laughs> so please forgive some of the audio dropouts and the quality. I think the first couple minutes are the worst, and then it seems to get better after that. So on today's episode, I speak with Katie, who is a masochist. And if you don't know what that is, the textbook definition of masochism is the enjoyment of what appears to be painful or the tendency to drive pleasure, especially sexual gratification, from one's own pain or humiliation. Obviously, there's a lot more aspects to this and different desirable kinks. So I'll let Katie explain it better than I ever could. All right, go ahead and introduce yourself. My
1: name is Katie, and I'm going to talk about Masochism and how I, my road to mas- figuring out that I'm a masochist.
0: So, you wanted to talk about this because I guess most people's understanding, most people's view on it is what we see in TV shows and movies. And as we all know, TV shows and movies get everything wrong, right?
1: They get it very wrong. And I just wanted to talk about it because. Figuring out that this is what I was and that it was okay was a really long road for me. And when I finally figured it out and kind of found my place, it really changed everything for me. It made a huge difference in my life. Right? And if people just understood it better, I think more people could figure this stuff out for themselves as well.
0: So at what age were you kind of feeling that there was... Something that you craved or something you were lacking?
1: So, as crazy as it sounds, right from the very beginning, when I first started masturbating at like 12, I immediately was incorporating pain into any kind of sexual pleasure. I just, I knew that that wasn't like the norm and that I knew that other kids probably weren't doing this and that. Growing up, my dad had always gotten Playboys delivered to the house and there was, for some reason, I was just attracted to them and I would go into the closet and I would look at them all the time. From a young age, I was doing this and I would read about sex and of course, look at the pictures. So I knew enough about how sex was quote unquote supposed to be according to these magazines and none of that had ever mentioned any kind of pain. But... Just immediately when I started masturbating, I just had this natural drive to repay. And so I did right away. But then when it came to partner sex, I had a really hard transition there. Like I didn't know how to talk to my partner about it. So I never really did. And I would pretend, I would try to pretend, enjoy the things that you're quote unquote supposed to enjoy. At the same time, this was when I was late teens, that I first started being sexually active with a partner. And
0: teenagers don't know what they're doing. So, no.
1: Yeah. And this is, you know, I'm in my 40s now. So, this is in the mid 90s. I live in a conservative area, conservative state. And at the time, I was growing up in a small town. It was a very conservative town. They didn't even talk about gay, much less kink. So I had no idea. I had no words for what I was one. And at the same time, I was also remembering childhood sexual abuse. I was in counseling full of depression and anxiety, and I was starting to self-harm. So there was a lot going on. And the last thing on my mind was, how do I communicate this desire for pain to a partner? I was just kind of going on as well. But by the time I was I went away to college, I did actively seek out a counselor to work on some of this. The first response I received from a counselor was, sex should feel good. Sex shouldn't hurt. And she actively discouraged me from pursuing that at all. And linked my wanting pain with sex back to my childhood sexual abuse. And I had three more
0: counselors
1: do that actively over the next several years. So,
0: But this is what would get you off during sex. Like, without it, you, you weren't enjoying it, so...
1: Well, and that's the thing. I wasn't actually doing pain during partner sex at all during this time. I would go to counseling. Eventually in counseling, we would get around to talking about sex. And i say, yeah, I don't like sex. So they'd like, well, why don't you like sex? Well, none of it feels good. And so then we would talk about, well, what do you do during masturbation? Well, I hurt myself. to get myself off every time. I have no problem orgasming when I masturbate. But I, I don't enjoy sex with a partner. I never orgasm then it would be well. You shouldn't be hurting yourself. <laughs> <laughs> so I would get this shame about oh my gosh, I shouldn't be hurting myself. So then I wouldn't. I said no, I'm not doing that anymore. So it became this whole cycle. Yeah. Of shame, and I definitely didn't talk to my partners about it ever. That's
0: um, terrible because that's what you need to do is communicate. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: And I was living in it. An, oh, and. At this time, though, I'd also figured out that I was a lesbian. And I was in a committed lesbian relationship. But we had an open relationship. And we bring men in. So we were doing these things that were not mainstream. So it's not like... And my therapist would always know about those things. So it's not like I was going to a real button-down therapist. So it was just a really weird time. So I finally... When I was 30, when I was 30, i moved to a different city, left that relationship. It was in a much better place. And I had been out of that relationship for a couple of years and hadn't dated anybody. I hadn't even thought about dating anybody, but I'll be really frank. I wanted to get late. Yeah. Like (laughs) we all. (laughs) Yeah. So at the time you went to Craigslist for a quick hookup good old days
0: <laughs> when they had and, a casual casual encounters uh, category casual
1: encounters and i saw a mirror an ad for this guy who was looking for a submissive and i started talking to him our messaging and he talked about wanting to flog a woman and, and put nickel cramps on her and all of this stuff that I really hadn't considered because keep in mind, you can only do so much with yourself, (laughs) Yeah. but it sounded amazing. And because I'm a paranoid person, I stalked the crap out of him and confirmed that he was a paramedic at a fire department locally. And I figured out where he lived and I made sure it was really safe. And I eventually met up with him. I'm not even kidding. It was the most amazing time I ever had in my life because I was finally being touched in a way that made sense to my body and made my body respond. I had never physically reacted. I don't mean orgasm, but I mean like even just my body naturally lubricating
0: to touch. Yeah. It was like the chemistry that everything was right on. Yeah.
1: Like I was no longer the Sahara. I was suddenly like, I was the biggest river in the world and it was just like amazing so but it still felt really taboo, and it was in this like little compartment of the internet and secret and I did that for probably nine months before I found out that there were like these groups <laughs> that are community based and everything and I just started really getting into them when I started dating people more seriously and got into a serious relationship that we did incorporate some messages in oh. it. And that relationship went south. And I ended up getting into a relationship that had no message. <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, and it was one of those things where I thought, well, I did without it for so many years. I don't really need it. And I ended up marrying her. If that didn't go well, obviously.
0: It sucks when you have something different that you like, whether you want to call it a kink or just a different mindset, whether it's polyamory. It's so hard. I mean, it's hard to find a great person just when you're completely open minded with the entire world out there. But when you have a specific thing you like, It cuts down your options completely. And then you get to the point where you just compromise because you're like, well, probably never going to find that perfect.
1: Exactly. And that's what I did. Like we, we got along so well and, and we still are very good friends, but sexually, we were not compatible, but I realized I had never really talked to him about what I needed. Again, I went back to just silence. And so I decided that I needed to make this right. And, but I, I didn't have the words. So I, I found a counselor. <laughs> That's my go-to. And, but I worked really hard and I tried to find a kink friendly sex positive therapist. And I thought I'd found one, <laughs> but it very quickly turned into once again, and I couldn't that it may not, his his take on it was more, it may not be very healthy for you to participate in these items since you were an abuse survivor. And we really need to look at that before we can talk about how you discuss these things with them. Yeah. Yeah. It's frustrating.
0: I understand the point of view of, let's fix you first. Let's make sure your trauma is dealt with before we go and start, doing other things but you're already in your 20s your 30s i mean you can multitask and work on multiple things at once and at no point does it really seem like what you're explaining or describing is really a problem it's more or less trying to find a partner and understand yourself
1: right like i was in my mid-30s
0: at this point
1: yes i had a history of depression anxiety PTSD. But I had years of therapy. I had been on medication and stable for years. I wasn't showing any signs of problems. I came to him. I explained my history. I assured him that I would worked through my abuse and that I was here to learn how to communicate with my, my husband and us. Awesome. And it quickly turned into something else. And it really kind of sent me on this
0: tailspin of,
1: maybe this isn't good. Again, you know. So it took me a couple months to kind of pull myself on that.
0: I don't advocate lying to your therapist, but at some point it's like, that's not what I came here for. I want to talk about this.
1: Right. Quite honestly, if I go back to therapy for anything, I will be much more selective about what I told them from my past and that's really unfortunate, at least until I know them better. A detective came and knocked on the door They are involved. They definitely had her body and her backpack.
2: You know people are going to judge you, right? Of course.
0: They're judging me now. They've been judging me again in my whole life.
2: You can listen now to season two of Proof wherever you get your podcasts. And follow along with us as we reinvestigate the murder at the warehouse. I have to ask, did you kill Renee?
3: Listen now. Go to AmericanCriminal.com or search for and follow American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts.
1: So it took me into a tailspin. It took me a little while to get out of, but then I was able to kind of pull myself back and realize, okay, this isn't the right one for me. So I did end up talking to my husband about it. He did agree that I could and should participate in the local pink community. But I don't think he still to this day understands my need as in terms of being a masochist. That it's actually that's how I feel things sexually. So we did end up eventually divorcing. But we remained good friends. Through that though, I started participating in the kink communities around me. And that's something that I think that I, I want people to realize that if they feel like they're really alone with this kind of stuff, that there is this bigger community. Because once I had gotten divorced, I went back to the internet and I discovered this community that was much more active than it had been when I first got involved with people there's FetLife out there and then you can, you can access then all the local events and communities and it's just a kind of a networking and it's not all good people really have to be careful and be smart and safe but you can find other people that you relate to and can interact with and can be supportive for each other and I think that's the biggest thing that I took believe from it was just that I'm not alone all of this I don't have to be all alone with this and I don't have to rely on some creepy
0: corner of the internet either. <laughs> <laughs> well, and in, in that, I mean, whether it's vet life or Tinder, you always have to be prepared to vet somebody. You always have to keep your guard up to make sure that this person isn't wanting to cause you harm. And- I don't know if the kink community is any more or less safe than Tender. I mean, in fact, I would say Tender is probably less safe because it's just a crapshoot out there. Whereas at least on FetLife or something like that, you have more like-minded people. But when it comes to some guys that I've met during my lifetime that claim to be doms, I'm like, you just want to abuse a woman. You're not really... A couple of them, I'm like, you're kind of a scumbag. But other ones, like, no, this is what their passion is, this is what their kink is, and it's totally normal.
1: Yeah, and I think that's over time since I first failed to chem year of this. It's gone from okay, I'm a submissive to I've realized it's really just about pain for me. I'm just really a masochist. And I just For me, pain's a a very big part of intimacy and sexuality. I have found, I'm a partner now and we've been married, but we have an open relationship. So he understands that I rate other people for different types of pain and he might see other people for play that he likes with them. So just a really understanding of what we each need out of relationships and how to learn sex life. So it's just a, I don't know if it's true for everybody, but I feel like for me, my since I was about a teenager until now, I feel like sexuality and my sexual identity has just been this huge process. And I'm kind of curious to see if it will ever stop or if it just say, is like this continual
0: process. So it's <laughs> continual.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I think you're about my age, so I'm not sure you can say.
0: Yeah, I'm 46. (laughs) Yeah, see, we're about
1: the same age.
0: And it's hard because however you identify, a lot of people, it's just, it's not in them to want to cause harm. It's not in them to want to cause their partner pain. It's one thing to spank. It's one thing to be a little rough, but it's another thing to be like, no, I want to be flogged. No, I want these Things done because a lot of people they're uncomfortable doing it because most people are inherently good and don't want to do this, cause their partner pain essentially. And they perceive that as a bad thing, not realizing, you know, never able to flip the script like, no, this is what they're asking for. And you can blatantly ask somebody for what you want and they might not give it to you because in their mind it's a bad thing, just like the litany of therapists you went through. <laughs> they all interpret this as a bad thing.
1: Yeah, that's absolutely correct. That was part of the thing with my ex-husband. Was. He really could not understand and comprehend how I wanted the pain. But on top of that, he could not stand hurting me. It was basically a hard woman for him, you yeah, know, his entire life. And then do not hurt people, and suddenly so he had his wife asking him to hurt, and that was not something that he could do. And my sadist will often say, or my partner will often say, "What will other people think about him if they knew what he did to me?" <laughs> because he will cause me extreme pain, but that is what I want him to do. And if I were to say a single word, he would stop. The entire thing would stop. And I know that, and that's because I know that that is how I can allow him to continue to cause me extreme pain. But there has to be that trust. It's a lot of trust on both sides. He has to trust, and any of my partners, have to trust that I am not going to go to the authorities and claim that he did this to me and I didn't want him to do this. And I have to trust that they're not going to go beyond what I want and that they will stop if I utter my safe word. It's a lot.
0: It's always ironic to me because the kink world, the BDSM world, there's so much more understanding communication and consent going on than what's happening in, most regular relationships where people can't even express, I just like it when you're on top. Like they can't even tell their partner that, whereas in the kink community, you have to really say what you want and trust the other person.
1: Yes. I had a um, play session two nights ago with one of my play partners. And the evening before, he was texting me a litany of questions in preparation for our play session the next minute. And then when he arrived, he had even more questions. Do you want this? What are your limits? Can I do this? And, it, you know, and that's what we do. It's all about communication, or it should be. Because if you can't communicate with your partner, there's a risk that you could be harmed. You're definitely not going to get what you want because you haven't communicated what you want. And there's just so many chances of things going falling off well it's so important to use your words and get it out there so otherwise you're just going to have a bad experience it's ironic because for so long i just was silent and upset and just you know that one you want to do and i'll pretend to like it and now it's like i do not like this i will not do this and i want this
0: it's just so frustrating for me to hear that your therapists, your actual therapists who are supposed to be some of the most non-judgmental people and just accept you for you. I know their jobs to work on your problems, but the fact that they would discourage or not understand. I'm not a therapist. I just play one on a podcast and I got it. I'm like, well, no, there's nothing wrong with what you're doing. <laughs> like it just yeah. that seems fine to me if you're okay with it. You know, there's limits to everything. Like, I think if somebody was, you know, somebody's on heroin and their life is falling apart, yeah, there might be a problem. That's not just the thing you like to do. But when it comes to what you just explained, I'm like, no, nah, that sounds totally normal and healthy if done in the right way.
1: I think the earlier the counselors I had in my late teens and early 20s, I kind of give them a pass because of where. They were, and the time. They were, you know, like I said, it was in a much more conservative area. And at the time, I'm not sure there was quite as much awareness uh, about just sexual masochism in general. Well, shoot, one of those people, the first counselor I came to in school, where I thought I might be a lesbian, even told me once I worked through the sexual abuse, that would go away. So. Yeah, there was it was some messed up stuff. The late nineties were kind of crazy
0: when it came to this. You're right. I mean, I might have this ability to be non-judgmental and accepting, but in the mid to late nineties when I was just out of high school and going to college and stuff, I, I didn't know my ass from my head back then either. So
1: Yeah. So as far as the one that I went to in my thirties, yeah, I really don't understand what was going on with him. <laughs> Yeah. And I still don't. And sometimes I think about that and I'm like, why did I even keep going back to him? I wouldn't today. Today I would walk out and just be like, yeah, you're not accepting Mm -hmm. this. I'm a lot more confident in
0: my sexuality now than I was. And your needs.
1: Yeah, for sure. It's just amazing how the more you're around people who are comfortable with their sexuality and who can talk openly about it, who can. Make you that this isn't anything to be ashamed about. But the more you become comfortable with yourself, yeah, you go to these events and I see these women of all different shapes and sizes and these men of all different shapes and sizes just openly playing, and it's just beautiful. I love it. and I'm just really happy good that's out there.
0: When you went to your first event, was it scary for you?
1: Oh my God, yes. <laughs> <laughs> My first actual like play event, because there's different types of events. They have things called munches, which you basically meet at a restaurant and just have a meal with other people who are like-minded. And then they have events that include play. My first like play event, I was terrified.
0: And play means contact, right? That's <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: Generally it's non-sexual play at most play parties. There are some play parties that allow sexual contact, right? usually play refers to impact play. Some parties allow things like needle play, wax play, electric play, but it's a whole gamut of play. You know, we just call them play parties. But the first, yeah, the first one I went to, it was really scary. People were really welcoming, really accepting. I didn't actually play. I just went and kind of observed
0: got to get your feet wet.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Kind of sitting in the corner and taking it all in and being amazed at some of the things that I saw. I be, you know, I want to try that or there's no way I'm going to do that. So,
0: <laughs> And then you start questioning, am I a voyeur because I'm enjoying watching this?
1: <laughs> oh, I am definitely a voyeur. Yeah, I definitely know that. And a bit of an exhibitionist. So, yeah, you definitely learn more about your own pieces of yourself by going to the events. And,
0: I know these kink groups, they're not in a lot of cities. They're not out in the open. You have to go search them out. They keep themselves secret because there is a lot of backlash. There is a lot of shame where people think it's taboo. I know one group here that the neighbors, if they knew what was going on there, they probably call the police and have the building raided or they would probably say that there were children there or something and... So it's very, you know, you don't talk about Fight Club and you have to join websites like Life or whatever to even find out about them because it's so frowned upon, even to this day.
1: Yes. And you have to be vetted to go to play parties, by attending other non-play party events, or by getting to know people who are going to the parties. It is something that like you said is frowned upon. For instance, one of these places, the event center, place. green If something happens where they need to call the police, the laws that the police are not allowed to come into the building. They actually shut it down so that the police can come into this one section dark area. Because who knows what would happen if the police came in and saw that but here's a woman that has a bunch of bruises all that kind
0: um, of yeah, I mean, police are pretty simple. They're a hammer. They're looking for a nail. And their job is to arrest somebody, find a crime. And there's no crime happening.
1: So, it, yeah, it's unfortunate. But that is the reality of it. But it it keeps us safe. or are safer. I kind of liken it back to when I was 13, like 19. And you actually had to search for like, a gay community centers and I went I had to find one in the city I was living in at the time and it was difficult then too so it feels very reminiscent of that me. and so it's like well, maybe maybe one day they won't
0: be as secretive
1: because you know gay community centers certainly aren't anymore
0: I've been invited to some of these parties but I've never I personally don't identify as being part of the scene I cuz I I'm just I don't really Know that much about it, but I have friends. Oh yeah, I've been to several. Okay, Okay, good. (laughs) It's one the the most interesting one was the pony play where. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) That that's that's an interesting one. Yeah, now you've seen
1: something I've not.
0: (laughs) Yeah, let me tell you. When it comes to flogging, when it comes to the wax play, when it comes to all of those things, none of them shocked me. The pony play one, I was just sitting there going, "What is happening?" And I'm, and not in a, <laughs> not in a judgmental way, just like I am completely and utterly out of my element right now. And this is something on that should be on everyone's bucket list to do or watch.
1: <laughs> yeah, I've not seen pony play. I've seen puppy play, and that can actually be really cute. But I've not seen potently, although I did see a woman dressed up as a pony once with the herbs and everything.
0: So Yeah. 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 The woman had the hooves on and in a full latex outfit that you have to really, I guess, train to even put this thing on because it's so hot and so constrictive. And so she would She would stomp her hooves on the ground and it sounded like a horse stomping on (laughs) the ground. (laughs) And when it came to the Q&A part, I just asked, is that a real horse? bite guard in her mouth or did you have to buy a specialized one and he's like no the horse mouth guards fit perfectly in a human mouth and i'm like cool (laughs) (laughs) what's the best question i I love that you
1: asked that (laughs) that's
0: vital information i know if, if somebody else had the question and they were too afraid to ask i wanted to you know make sure that everyone knew what kind of bite guard to get
1: well and that's just like crops you can buy some of the best crops at like um, a quest green store you don't need to go on yeah.
0: <laughs> and it's not a cheap hobby
1: no no no, no a lot of kink is not a, it can get very pricey if you want it to yeah, it, yeah. it's kind of crazy what people spend on <laughs> <It's fun.
0: Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> So, but i've never felt threatened or weirded out or anything at any of the play parties or kink parties I ever was invited to. Everyone was super welcoming and super chill. And um, and they always would end up just more or less going, oh, you're a podcaster and talking to me about my podcast. And I'm like, I'm not the spotlight here. The person dressed as a pony is the spotlight. and I want to know more about that. <laughs> yeah, just,
1: yeah. Well, But at, at that, you were the novelty.
0: <laughs> yeah, I know. I was the weird one <laughs> in the group. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, they're right. I've not been to, well I shouldn't say that. It's always so welcome, we want some kind of people that, are there, that have similar interests. And, or that are going to introduce you to new ideas and it's always like people showing their toys off and especially men, men love to show all their toy bags off. It's <laughs> huge toy bags full of whips and floggers and spend time showing them off to each other Women just shake their heads. <laughs> <laughs>
0: And there is etiquette at these parties, like as you said, you have to be vetted, you have to be invited. And if somebody has all of their toys or devices displayed, you better not touch them because it is theirs. (laughs) Like, I saw somebody get spoken to very sternly when they picked up a riding crop or something that belonged to somebody else and it was like put that down yeah. was, yeah. you don't
1: you don't touch other people's toys you know and that goes through literal toys and other people's human toys when i go to an event i am there as a colored submissive i don't like i said i don't really identify as a submissive except to my i do identify as that to my partner primary partner so when i attend events i do wear a collar and the primary thing with that is just... just so that other people are aware of what my status is so it wouldn't be appropriate for another person to come up and initiate play with me in aggressive manner because i'm taller since so there is that distinction too there is etiquette and it depends on the party you go to as well some are like high protocol, which means there's a lot of positioning and just expectations on how a submissive should act and how dominant act. I don't do any high protocol. I'm way too, I say fuck to my dominant way too much. So I, I'm just not that. I'm very not a submissive if you really look at me in terms of how I act, but so I, I've never been to a high protocol. We never want to, but there are those as well. People are into that, and learn you know that it's more of like people heard like story of O kind of thing,
0: more formal. Story of O was the BDSM book before Fifty Shades of Grey. Before it was cool.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, and Fifty Shades. You know, I you brought up Fifty Shades of Grey. That
0: man. Go ahead and break it down. Everything that's wrong with that one.
1: (laughs) (laughs) First of all, disclaimer: I only, I did read the first one because I was happy that that not final, but that there was a recent book or modern book about BDSM out there, and that people were actually reading it. It was getting press and stuff. Then you read it, and it's one. It's this over wealthy guy who's. Supposedly super hot. And this thin chick, he goes in and is handed this contract that is absolutely ridiculous. It's just not how any of it works or should work.
0: And then she's kind of forced into signing the contract when she's drunk, of all things. Like,
1: And it's not a negotiated contract. <laughs> it was his demands. And to be honest with you, I don't know very many people that have a contract. Well, some people do that, but it's not. They made it seem like everybody has these contracts. So they just don't. So it's gave this completely false image about BDSM. We need like a reality version of it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: So but it's just that's more along the lines of high protocol or a slave version of BDSM than what you were Not even that. It's I would say people that think they're going to do that are the people that get off that and just fake. And it's really frustrating for people that are just doing this day to day. And part of them. Yeah.
0: It was such a one way relationship or, just domination in that movie and book i think the movie secretary does a better job and it's more or less organic it's more just this is what's going to happen but even secretary has its problems and yeah. isn't a perfect representation either because there's i think the first time he spanks her there was no consent given it was just she he did it and i'm like yeah there's gonna be a little bit more to that no.
1: i just felt like right. With 50 Shades, there was no consideration given to fur beads or very little. And it just was not what our community needed or the general public to see as a representation of BDSM.
0: Yeah. And I guess the first time I saw 50 Shades, I was like, what is this Twilight? Not even realizing, I had no idea it was the same author that wrote the books. So, if you're into supernatural, vampire, werewolf stuff, if you think Twilight is bad and a misrepresentation of that, well, that's the Fifty Shades of Grey version of BDSM. It is so far out there. It's not even close to what normally people would convey that just even vampire lore. It's totally off.
1: <laughs> it's very off.
0: Very off. So what would you tell somebody who might have these cravings who might have these desires who might be in a relationship that they're not getting this
1: (laughs) oh i may not be the best person to ask
0: (laughs) (laughs) well you're the only person i have to ask right now so sorry
1: (laughs) yeah i think it what i would say to them would depend a lot on what their relationship is like i have definitely escorted several people towards kink and the kink community because that's just what i do but as far as if someone came to me and said specifically they were in a relationship and getting our math to kiss and weren't needing to talk to their spouse about it that's a hard conversation i think at first they have to start with themselves and figuring out what about pain they need, and where it is they need it? And what I mean by that is, for me, I I like pain. I need pain on several fronts. I need it orgasm. I need it for a physical like release and emotional release as well. So knowing themselves well enough to be able to verbalize to their partner why and what they need it for, I think is really important.
3: Listen now. Go to AmericanCriminal.com or search for and follow American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Once they can understand that about themselves, it's about having a really hard conversation and explaining that to their partner and seeing if their partner can provide that for them. And having to be okay with their responses, unfortunately, it may not be good. And then you have to kind of work with where that takes you. My case, I, in, in my lead to divorce, you might try opening your relationship. You might try having, not really opening the relationship, but having somebody else provide pain, the pain aspect. You've never pain. That's the other aspect I need to clarify here. Pain doesn't have to mean sex. And masochism doesn't have to mean sex. You can have Pain and receive pain without there being any sex. That's why we have play parties that do not have sexual elements because people do pick up play or play with partners and there be no sexual elements. So when I was still married, I would attend play parties and have no sex with play partners. So that might be an option. There are ways to you know, feed the need. Within and remain monogamous within marriage. It's just not always the easiest thing if we need pain or sexual pleasure.
0: Yeah. It's a hard topic to broach, especially with somebody that might not have any idea or any concept of what it is. Yeah.
1: Or if they yeah, if that and that was the case with my husband, he really had his idea. Chinky was so far from, I mean, it was vanilla. He had no concept of what really Chinky could be. And so we were starting from completely opposite ends of the spectrum when that conversation started. So we had a long way to come together. Like, it, it's very hard, it can be very hard to bridge that gap. Yeah. So once you find that person or people, that get that, that can understand. It just, it feels really good. My partner now, he just really understands why I need the pain. And I'm not talking about like the specific reasons, but just that, although he knows those as well, but just the release I get emotionally from that pain and that it can just make things so much better. I just can feel so much better after just receiving pain from him. which is It makes me feel so understood. It's like in a moment of receiving pain, which is what it means that you just really need this.
0: gives you that release. I mean, I I know when I've talked to people about self-harm or cutting, that pain gives them a release. And I would just assume that doing it During sex, or doing it with, say, nipple clamps or something like that, is far more healthy than cutting into your leg every night just to get to sleep.
1: Well, and that's interesting you bring that up because from my late teens until my early 20s, I actually self harmed, I cut on myself. So I am very familiar with that release that you're talking about and that build up. And this is completely different. This is a completely different. Release. It is instead of feeling numb after cutting, I always would feel numb after I cut myself. I would have all this anxiety built up inside of me. As soon as I cut myself, it would be gone, but I would feel numb. When I receive pain from my partner, I will just feel pleasure on a very emotional level if that makes sense
0: yeah it's more euphoric and
1: yeah euphoric that's a good way to put it so it's it is a release i'm receiving a release from pain caused from pain but it's not that same kind of release that i would get
0: when i self harm and that was probably a bad comparison or connection.
1: No, actually I think it's a very good comparison because, and the reason I say that is because my counselors would often point to so poor my hurting behavior as a reason why I should not have sex with him. They said it, that was another thing that was an extension of
0: self-hormone. Yeah. Well, as much as I fell into the same pothole as your therapist, at least you can now explain what the difference is and how it's not exactly connected at all.
1: Yeah, it's interesting how your brain works and how it can process pain so differently depending on why you're receiving it. I can stub my toe and yeah. it will hurt like a bitch.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Or I can have my thrust crushed or needles put through my nipples, and it will just send me into subspace and I'll just be absolutely in heaven. So it's just strange how the brain can process pain depending on the
0: situation. I mean, you just gave two different examples. So I heard needle play. (laughs) So is it, I mean, do you just experiment with all the things or do you have preferred things?
1: I definitely have preferred. I do like needle play primarily in my breasts and nipples and I nipple play and breast play has been like a constant in my life like that's a something that really gets me going <laughs> but it, I also like a lot of I do like a lot of impact play I've started to learn to like stinger like whipping, team okay. versus thudier let's just write as ear, like flogging I didn't used to like stingy and i but that I do like that. My primary partner is amazing with his hands and the amount of pain that he can create just from his hands and manipulating hands and hair pulling and things like that. But yeah, I like tried a lot of different things, breast bondage and different things like that. I try a lot of different things and it's just hit or miss whether or not. I like that particular thing like i've tried electric play and i just sort really didn't like that and i don't like anything with bronze but cutting i've done cutting play and i like that <laughs> but i try to stay away from that I'm too risky with scarring and stuff there's just a lot of fun stuff you can do but there's always something you to try huh.
0: Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> I'm learning. But I
1: don't think I'll try puppy play or <laughs> pony play. It's just not my thing.
0: Yeah. That's, that's a whole other level and it's very specific and just like any genre of anything. I mean, just if you listen to heavy metal, well then you have the subgenres of every single kind of metal. If you listen to techno, well then you have house, you have trance, you have drum and bass. And in the BDSM world, you get down to very, very specific things. And I find it fascinating, but at the same time, yeah, when I ended up at the Pony Play Party, I thought, okay, this is where I've seen it all. I've gotten to the end of it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You've not seen it all, but you did get to see a very, like, I would love to go to that and see that. I think that would be absolutely fascinating. I don't know that I've ever seen one around here. Like even advertised. So.
0: Yeah, it was
1: a lot of puppy play.
0: And I don't even really know exactly what puppy play is, but mm-hmm. pony play is when you actually are the pony and someone rides you. They even have chariots and they and you
1: know, they pull. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> so what's puppy no. play?
1: <laughs> puppy play is they have mm-hmm. a tail. That they either all wear with like, a butt or it's just attached to them no. like around their waist. Some of them are really cool tails where like when they move, it actually like bounces and wags. I love those. And they have a mask that is a nose, like a dog nose. They'll wear things on their hands and feet that look like paws. And they will eat yeah, out of dog dishes, sand cages sometimes, play with bones and toys and get scratches and all over on their backs for belly rubs and. And you can do it with cats and kittens and foxes and just the animal.
0: And I know that there's furries that exist. But there this, are
1: furries, yeah. <laughs> and, but this is
0: a little different than furries because some furries, they just embody an animal and it's not very sexual at all. It's just their identity.
1: Yeah. I've only ever met one furry, actually. He was a really cool guy. He was from Chicago and he was down in my area. He just, he was a really cool guy. I didn't really I don't really know a lot about furries but I don't you don't really see them very much but when I, as soon as I saw them I was so excited to meet them and talk to them
0: the only time I've ever been around is comic conventions and stuff like that where people dress up cosplay and
1: oh my gosh furries come to comic conventions that's good to know yeah
0: at <laughs> least the one I was at there was a handful there of the hundreds of thousands of people there was half a dozen <laughs>
1: Wow. Love yeah, they're not coming to the play parties I go to. <laughs> I think it would be hard to do a lot of the different differenting stuff in a furry outfit. But,
0: <laughs> but with the puppy play, a lot of your body is exposed, so you can <laughs> do that. Yeah. yeah.
1: Plus, they're mostly wanting pets
0: and stuff. <laughs> That makes sense. I mean, I remember the old John Waters films where there'd be people dressed as babies that wanted to be pampered like a baby. So it makes sense.
1: Yeah. You have littles and middles and there are some babies. That's a whole other topic.
0: (laughs) Whole other niche.
1: Yeah, Yeah, whole other little niche. There's a little bit of everything.
0: Was there anything else you wanted to talk about that I didn't ask you about?
1: I don't think so. you actually covered a lot more ground than I was
0: expecting. <laughs> well, I, I did play a little dumb at the beginning. Like, I don't really know about this. I'm like, yeah, I've been to play parties since
1: then. <laughs> I was like, when you came out with that, I was like, dude, you know a lot more.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know, I just make you explain it, dumb it down a little for me and for the audience because I can't understand it. So, like, explain it to me like,
1: yeah, I want to see pony party now.
0: <laughs> oh, you up. you have to.
1: Like I've seen one person in pony, like dressed up, and I was like amazed. There's so much to it, but I've never actually seen
0: like, the full thing. I guess it's just a really extreme version of sub dom because the pony is the sub and the.
1: And there's a lot of leather involved <laughs> and Yeah, yeah, that's not really my thing. Don't
0: yuck somebody else's yum. All good. It's good. Thank you so much, Katie, for joining me. I'm going to be putting out another episode this week. It's an author who I interviewed. I was trying to time the release of the episode with the release of his book, but that didn't happen due to scheduling issues. Uh, I don't want anyone to think that he got bumped before anyone else. It was actually a scheduling problem uh, between him having COVID and being able to get the interview done, but uh, I'll be releasing his interview very soon.